You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. So we are in the three-week period, the saddest period on the Jewish calendar. Actually, starting this evening, we get into the, the nine days leading up to the ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av, which leads to the low point, we'll call it, on the Jewish calendar, where the Jewish people will mourn the destruction of both temples. There's multiple things we're actually uh, crying about on this day. But I want to tell you a beautiful story that took place yesterday, and it took place with me. And it, I didn't do anything. It was actually done for me. So in, in this three-week period, we like to bring up the point as often as possible that the destruction of the two temples and all our problems are all caused by baseless hatred when two people can be fighting for really no good reason. If they would just talk, if they would communicate, if they would figure out what actually happened, if they wouldn't uh, be so fast to judgment, all the things that cause people to fight. All those things is what we really, really want people, especially now, to shy away from. And instead of there being what we again call baseless hatred, let there be that love and friendship. So yesterday... I'm sitting at my desk. Actually, my summer is very different. Many summers I'm doing a lot of what's called title work. I don't have that work this summer. Doing a lot of extra fundraising for the school, trying to help us get ready for a building campaign, working on a, on a new piece of property where we can build a second building, dealing with a school board, which is a, a fascinating uh, project. I'm going to have to meet some homeowners, associations, and stuff. we got a lot of interesting new things that I've actually never done before. So anything new, I love. Anyways, so I'm sitting by my desk, and a friend calls me up. He says, Tzvi, uh, I'm in Marshalls, and I know you like your Nespresso coffee. And I do. Every morning, I'm very particular. Um, I have my Nespresso machine, and I have my capsules. They're not really capsules. I don't know what you call them, but they're like capsules. And I get the size I want, and the... Milk first, milk second, uh, let it cool for a while. I, and, I, and I drink, I could drink it for hours, my cup of coffee. That's just the way I am. It's like, you know, some for the caffeine, some for the taste. In any case, he says he's in Marshalls and they're selling, they call them sleeves. They'll put like anywhere between eight and 10 capsules in what they call this rectangular box. They call it a sleeve. And those boxes could cost you upwards of $12. It's, it could be $1.20, $1.30 per capsule. He says, they're selling these sleeves a dollar each. I said, amazing. I said, thank you so much. But before you buy it, could you tell me the shape? 
You see, Nespresso had an older machine. I can't remember if they call it original, whatever. And those capsules are in the shape of a thimble. While the newer capsules are like sort of round, almost more like a pancake, some a little taller, some a little smaller. The old days, they had one size, and you decided how much water comes at, you know, is going to filter through, and that would make if it's more espresso coffee, if it's more what they call American espresso, is it 7.7 ounces, 2.7 ounces, 5 point something ounces, 12 pour over ounces. Anyways, the new ones, it's actually the, the coffee machine reads by the size of the capsule how much water, which I happen to love much better. And I think most people do because those old machines with the thimbles are out. And the main reason I, I got rid of my old machine was uh, after many years of faithful service, um, it died. So I have the newer round capsules. So my friend says, nope, it's a thimble. I said, oh, thank you so much for calling me. I so appreciate it. I appreciate you were thinking about me. But the reason those are all on sale is because nobody has those machines anymore. So... You're not getting people to buy all those capsules. They probably got a special deal trying to get rid of them for the few people whose machines are still there, probably because they don't use it as much as I use it. In any case, that was the story. But the beautiful part of the story was, and is a friend of mine, are we best friends? No. Are we friends? Definitely. And a lot of summers we work together. This summer we're not working together. He went shopping. He, no, he doesn't drink this coffee. I don't even know if he's a coffee drinker. Probably he likes just the instant stuff. But he knew in the back of his mind when he saw that coffee, he knew that I like it. So he could have gone home and, you know, when he bumped into me, mentioned that he saw in Marshalls. No. He called me up. He said, this is something I know you like. Do you want it? Do you not want it? Is it the right thing? Is it not the right thing? That's very thoughtful. When we talk about love and friendship, it's not good enough that when I walk down the street and I happen to bump into you, I go ahead and I say, oh, how can I do you a favor? No. He's actively cognizant, paying attention that this is something that Svi likes. Let me call him right now. The worst would be I wouldn't pick up the phone or he would leave me a message. But he thought about me, and that is what this three-week period, now leading into the nine days, is all about. If we want God to see how we're building up our friendship amongst each other, then we have to be actively friendly. We have to actively work on trying to help others, even if we're really not interested. And by the way, the... The way life goes, if you're not interested but you do it anyways, it's amazing that you, you will train yourself to uh, think about it more and to, yeah, be interested. So that's just something that happened today. I thought it was really beautiful. I wanted to bring it up. I wanted to mention it before we get into the show. And even more important, before we get into the show, we talked about it last week. I want to mention it again. Um, and that is to all my dedicated listeners. I know, of course, you love the show and I need your help to get our show to spread, I need you to go to my homepage and hit that donate bu button. We need to we need donations to come in so that we can pay for the costs of this studio, of this wonderful studio, of all my help in the back. Today we have um, we have Alan helping us today. We have Paul sitting in his office. Um, so I, I need your help. 
push the donate button. We have different levels there. There's a there's a place for for a memo if you want me to uh, to just shout out your name. If you need a you know a a blessing for somebody who needs to be healed, if you want to do it in memory of somebody who's passed away, whatever you want, put it in that memo box. Um, hit one of those levels. And in a future show, we will make sure to get that message out. If you want it anonymous, then either write anonymous or just, you know, write in the box that you don't want anything mentioned. That would really go a long way to helping the show continue and to grow. And in advance, I thank you. Okay, now let's get into the show. So we have the story of Pinchas. So first, let's back up. We talked about the story last week, I think. What happens? The Bilam has came to curse the Jewish people. He was not successful. God did not let him curse the Jewish people. But Pinchas is not a fool. He knows how to how to get God angry at the Jewish people. He said God hates immorality. He hates it. So he told Bullock on his way out of town, he says, the best way to attack the Jewish people is to get their men to sleep around with your girls. So they got Majani girls, they set up tents and marketplaces, and they brought them into the tent, and they had an older lady in front, and and they convinced them, if you want the better, the better stuff, it's in the back of the tent, and he had a nice, pretty naked girl sitting in the back, and uh, she enticed and led to lots of immorality. That was a story. So God, of course, is angry. He starts a plague. Now, it seems that a lot of the people that were involved were from the tribe of Simon, from the tribe of Shimon. Also, if you look in the Torah portion of Pinchas, you see that the, his tribe is just way smaller than everybody else. If everybody's in the 40s, 50s, some even 60 or 70,000, he's like in the 20s. Not including the Levites who are always in the 23,000 range. So his tribe is uh, getting decimated by this plague. So Zimri, the leader of the tribe of Shimon, goes to Moses with a Midyani princess. And he says to Moses, he says, am I allowed to take this girl? Am I not allowed to take this girl? Because Moses, you married a girl from Midian. Now again, it's a different time before the Torah was given. Um, it's everybody in those days certainly agreed to not do idol worship. And this is just a Midyani princess. She's not trying to be Jewish. And Zimri goes and he sleeps with her. So it says Moses is crying, Aaron is crying, um, and Pinchas comes along. And Pinchas says, I thought the rule is that a zealot, somebody who is 100% you know, working for God, um, could actually, not could, should actually kill a Jewish person who's sleeping with a non-Jew. But you have to be 100%. Um, for God only, not because you don't like this guy, not you like the excuse you could kill somebody. Like, so much is involved, it's almost impossible. Like, Pinchas is not only the example, he may be the only person that we've met in history that would be that 100% only for the sake of God. Now, there's another person, but that's Elijah, but many people say that Pinchas becomes Elijah. So he, it's all the same person. So we have this one person in history that was on this level. So Moses 
tells Pinchas, the guy who came up with the answer, he's the one that has to take care of it. And I was like, I can't tell you to do it. Now you're doing it because I said so. It's got to be completely within from you. So now we got to wonder, is Pinchas a fighter or is Pinchas a man of peace? It's a very interesting question. It sounds like he's a fighter, right? He went out and he was all for God, and his way of showing he's all for God is by executing Zimri and the princess. And there were a lot of miracles along the way. I mean, he's walking into the tribe. He's going to be killed with a spear. You think the wife of the tribe led him into that area. They should have figured something was going on. And multiple miracles happening simultaneously for this story. So the interesting thing is, so if he's a fighter, so give him a blessing about fighting, right? Be, he'll be a successful warrior. Instead, the blessing that Pinchas receives is the blessing of peace. The verse says, which means, behold, I will give to him, to Pinchas, my treaty of peace. Why is Pinchas getting this blessing of peace? So there's really a, a, a lot of reasons. And we'll see how many we have time to talk about. But first things first, Pinchas creates peace between God and the Jewish people because God is angry, so he's bringing a plague. Pinchas comes along and um, appeases God's anger, so now the plague stops. So he created, which again, it's a good thing to talk about during this three-week period like we started the show with, that this is a time where we want to increase love, we want to increase peace between man and his friend and between uh, man and God. Even though the only way to create that peace in this case was to kill somebody, which is just, just if you think about how that plays out. In other words, not always does peace mean that I'm always completely nice to you and the most friendly to you. Sometimes I have to do something that upsets someone to create peace. Right? Without going into every single nuance and every single detail, but I just want us to think about that, uh, that irony. Right? In other words, Pinchas needs to create peace. He needs to appease God, but he has to kill somebody to do it. Right? So it's a very interesting thought. Now, that word shalom, peace, is spelled what we call complete, meaning the first letter is shin, second letter is lamid, third letter is vav, and a vav is one of those letters that could be there, it doesn't have to be there, it depends on the Torah's mood, and there's reasons for it, we're obviously not going to dissect each one, and then the mem sophis at the end. So why is this so fascinating? Because this vav has something that never, ever happens anywhere else in the Torah. It's cut. In other words, if you, if you look into a Torah scroll, you'll see that either the vav is a little shorter or it's sort of sliced in the middle. There's a top and there's a bottom. Generally speaking, what, what's done is a very thin sliced line. And some of them are so thin because I have such amazing eyesight. Um, when you read from the Torah scroll, you and again, a bigger Torah scroll, the letters are bigger, so the slice is more recognizable. The one that I happen to read out of on Mondays and Thursdays is a much smaller Torah scroll, and uh, I couldn't see. My vision did not allow me to notice it. I tried to notice it, and I'm sure it's there, but I didn't notice it. 
But the point is, this is very unusual that a letter is on purpose damaged. Right? No, it's a letter supposed to be complete. We don't, we don't allow in other places that you should go ahead and slice up a Torah scroll. That's not happening. So why is it happening over here? Why is this Vav of Shalom sliced? And there's actually, you know, when I teach in school, so you're, you're teaching the children. There's a star by the word Shalom, and on the bottom it'll say, you know, in the Torah scroll, this letter is sliced. So my third graders are always very good when we get to such a star, they raise their hand, like, major question, what's the star for? I said, what do we look, look right down here? It goes to the bottom of the page and tells you that this Vav is sliced. Oh, that's, like, is that normal? Is that not normal? And it leads to a discussion, which, by the way, is the whole point. The whole point of the Torah, whenever the Torah does something unusual to a word, there's like 11 letters in the Torah that have, like, dots over them. Just 11. There's a handful of letters that are small, a handful of letters that are big, right? Anytime you do something unusual, that's making a statement. So what is the statement being made by this Vav being sliced in half? So I saw very interesting, there's a Chassam Sofer. The Chassam Sofer says that when you take a Vav and you slice it in half, you actually end up with two letters, the same letter twice, called a Yud. The Yud is the tenth letter in the Jewish alphabet. It's a very small letter. It is the smallest letter. And um, the letter Yud um, is an interesting letter on its own for numerous reasons. So the Chassam Sofer says, you take this Vav and you sort of split it into two Yuds and you place it into the word. Now, you're not really placing it into the word because you're not you're reading the word of Shalom. But the Torah is telling you, I want you to take two Yuds and put them in this word Shalom. And you end up with the word um, Yashlim, which will translate is, he should, future tense, make peace. Not shalom, it's just a straight word of peace, whether it's a noun, whether it's a uh, present tense word. Um, but he should, a future tense word, he should make peace, meaning. And I think this just is just a beautiful thought during this three-week period. Again, we keep talking about what it means to make peace, and that is don't wait for peace to happen. There, you know, there's some things that, that we always say, and I tell my children, like, don't worry about it, forget about it, yeah, you know, wait and see, right? Here you have to be proactive. Here a person cannot wait for peace to happen. He has to make it happen, right? As we have to be proactive to bring about peace. You know, Aaron Cohen, the great uh, Aaron, right, he was known as being a man of peace not because he was just a nice, friendly person, but when he saw people fighting, he went to each of the parties to see what could he do to bring them back together. Now, most of us are shy in this way. That's fact, right? We don't. Nobody likes uh, a confrontation, and and definitely nobody wants to take sides in a fight. We never want to take sides in a fight. We've talked about that a hundred times. But what, we, what we're seeing from here is what God really wants, and certainly during this three-week period, is that you are proactive to make peace. How are you proactive? So we said a story a couple weeks ago about that person who sent a cake. It went to the wrong person, but the person thought it was a relative, and, it, and she called back, and her brother, and, and they got back together. We talked about the story a couple weeks ago. In other words, do something. If there's somebody that's upset at you, 
somebody did it to us one time. Uh, my wife, a good friend of hers, but they had a falling out. And the other party was not happy that there was a falling out. Neither was happy that they were falling out, but they just were not getting back together. So for it was a holiday, it was a poor morning. There's a not not one or two bagels with a little cream cheese. There's a bag of bagels, a few containers of cream cheese, something to say, you know, let's forget about the past. Let's get back to the way the things were. Bygones be bygones. Let's be friends. We need to be proactive. It's not good enough to wait till everything. Sometimes we have to wait till things blow over. I understand. But if we could go ahead and be proactive and do something. Food is always a good way, by the way. Flour is a good way. right? Do something to bring about peace. That's what it's all about. Uh, Reblabel Eger said, he says, stop making people, listen to this one, if you want to understand the concept of how to create peace. This is beautiful. So Label Eger says, stop making people into what you want. Right? Accept them for who they are. It's just worth repeating the line. Stop making people into what you want. That's not how you make peace. That's not how you make friends. Accept them for who they are. And by the way, that goes for spouses. That goes for children, right? We get frustrated. Okay, now it's the summer, so it's easier to be laid back. It's no question. It's not in school, right? There's no report cards. There's no tests. There's no homework. There's no requirements. And now, if you study with your children, now it's all free. So I study with my children during the summer. We have goals and, and things we want. My son comes and says, I'm off tonight. Okay, you're off. Uh, and he'll tell me, we'll do double tomorrow night because we're trying to finish up and Officially, last night, we completed the goal for the summer until he goes away to camp next week. Um, but we stretched the goal a drop. We have a few more days. Either we will, either we won't. But that's not the point. The point is if we can accept our children and our spouses for who they are, we're not going to get upset at them. They're not going to make us as nervous. We want our children to be the most studious. We want our children to be brilliant. We want our children to ABC, whatever it's going to be. We want our spouses to do this. That's what leads to friction. It gets people upset. Our neighbors, we want our neighbors to be like this. We want our friends to be like this. No, that's not how peace works. You want peace? Accept people for who they are. And once you can do that, Life is beautiful. As we say, agree to disagree. What, what, what kind of amazing politics we would have in this world if I can agree to disagree. You have your, your, your version. You have your opinion. I have my opinion. I don't have to kill you because, because uh, you're not agreeing with me. Or you don't have to be my enemy because I don't agree with you. That's ridiculous. Right? It's amazing. So he says... He says that, uh, so God gives Pinchas, talking about peace, his brisi shalom, a, a, a treaty of peace, which means long life. So I saw, very interesting, somebody says that God always rewards, measure for measure, right? So Pinchas stopped a plague, so he caused people to live. Huh, so how are you going to pay Pinchas back? You're going to have to give him the life that he saved. That's going to be awfully long. Right? That's one explanation. The second explanation happens to be that um, that 
it's part of who we are. Whenever we do something, any act we do, which, by the way, includes peace and love and friendship or fighting, whenever we do something, that makes us who we are. That gets into our our innards, our kishkas, we like to say. So Pinchas killed somebody. It's like soldiers came back from war. If a person kills somebody, he can't be the same person anymore. God had to actually go ahead and put into Pinchas this special treaty of peace to make sure that the killing action that Pinchas did did not affect his soul and who he was and who he would become. By the way, a priest, a Kohen who kills, not allowed to work in the temple. In this case, Pinchas needs a special uh, dispensation, as we say, that his killing did allow that he could serve in the temple. So as we're getting towards the end of the show, so I saw just a very interesting, it's not really a parable, it's really a story, but, but at the end of the day, it gives us a good feeling. Again, we're talking about peace. This is not so much on the peace version. This story is more of who and what I am, as we just said. Right? You kill a person, this is who you become. Who are you? What are you? Pinchas needed a special uh, blessing that he shouldn't become some, someone different because he, he actually killed someone. So let's start with Abderov. So Abderov is on a wagon, and he's got an old creaky horse you know, pulling the wagon, and they get to a steep hill. So Abderov gets out of the wagon and uh, walks next to the wagon, struggling, as the horse pulls the wagon to the top of the hill. So the students asked him, they said, well, what did you get out of the wagon for? I mean, you're in the wagon to get up the hill. That's the whole point. So the Abdurav says, it's true. But I didn't want the horse to take me to court for overexertion. So the student said, but hello. He said, but animals are supposed to serve people. He said, it's true animals are supposed to serve people. And I would win in court. But you want to go to court with a horse? Who do you go to court with? Who do you want fighting with you? But there goes the music. The music's playing. Hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsors and listeners and people who are pushing that button. I couldn't do it without you. Thank the Wonder Production team. We have Alan in the back today. I have a blessed and food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build. Every room inside is filled with things from far. 